Levine era opens with a resounding win for the Vancouver Canucks in Winnipeg. It is the Canucks hour here. Sportsnet 650, the home of the Canucks. I'm Jamie Dodd, my co-host. As always, Canucks insider Thomas Drance. You can read his fantastic work covering the team at The Athletic. You can also hear him endlessly on this very radio station today. Drance, you did the morning show of Halford. We just heard you on uh, on the best of Halford and Broth leading into our show as well for an extended 90 minutes today. I mean, are, are we going to... I know you told me just before we went on the air that you're warmed up, but are we going to get like the the really kind of... You know, not the top level of takes. The but bottom the, barrel? Yeah, not even, I don't want to say bottom of the barrel because sometimes, you know, like in SNL, sometimes the skits that go on in the last half hour are the best because they're the weirdest and most out there, totally. right? They're not the things you lead with. They're the Tim Robinson exactly, sketches. Exactly, exactly. I wonder, is, are well, those the well, takes well. we're going to get yeah, from you today, 100%. Right? <laughs> 100%. We're all trying to find the guy who did this. And exactly. Yeah, I mean, look, I've been on... I've been talking a lot on this station. Even my wife thinks it's a little much, and um, she's not wrong. But stick with us for another hour. And for those of you listening on podcast form, you know, we, we got to deliver a weekend worth of content exactly. for you. The Canucks have a big game coming up in Calgary. Yeah. There's goaltender stuff to chat about, I guess. There's, you know, the imminent return of Bo Horvat. There's the fact that this team, through a ton of weird absences and various snafus border snafus and you know rules that impact them in a different way than most other teams in the nhl you know they've slowed down you know as the boudreau bump has receded but they've kind of stayed afloat i mean to get points the bottom hasn't fallen out to get points in three of the last four considering the circumstances uh you know pretty impressive and and i thought they had one of their best games of the year against the winnipeg jets last night although like, I didn't think the Canucks' defense played that well. I, uh, You know, JT Miller's formulation was we weren't perfect. Uh, they were far from perfect. I thought Spencer Martin was incredible. Was excellent. Uh, that, that game should not have been a blowout, in my mind. I think the Winnipeg Jets played really well offensively and were an absolute cataclysm in their own end. Well, the Canucks won the goaltending battle decisively in that game, right? Which is Connor maybe surprising. Spencer yes, Martin. exactly. But that's oh, how boy. goaltending works yeah. sometimes in the NHL, even when you have Connor Hellebuck. It's like a game of rock, paper, scissors, and then the Canucks put their <laughs> thumb up and were like, dynamite. Exactly. Dynamite. That's what the Canucks were yesterday in the goaltending battle. Uh, but just before we move on. Dynamite. From, from you being on the station just constantly today, I, I have this image of, you know, the... Um, the meme, the Spider-Man meme of J. Jonah Jameson pounding yeah, yeah, the yeah. desk, demanding 100%. more pictures of Spider-Man. That's yeah. our program manager, Canberra, pounding the table, <laughs> demanding, uh, we need more drants well, on the station. And the best part about it is that I always have cameras planted to get photos of my my exploits, right? And then I sell those <laughs> photos, and exactly. that's really the key to my revenue generation. That's what allows me to be a friendly neighborhood all the time on the radio guy canucks hour brought to you by avenue machinery being a champion takes foresight build your company to win for years to come with fuel efficient and reliable Kubota skid steers excavators and loaders from avenue machinery visit avenue machinery.ca 650 650 the dunbar lumber text line we already have a text coming in from leroy who says i love listening to Dransnet 650. So there you go. You've got a, a vote of support. Your wife's not into it, but Leroy. Leroy's like, yeah, sign me up. This Thanks, is, Leroy. This is fantastic. I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Um, and we'll have a fun, we'll have a fun hour ahead. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. there's a lot to talk about. Well, here, let's do it. Okay, because yeah. the, the, the two major talking points, they're obvious, but they're obvious for a reason, because they're the two things that really jump out from that game last night. To me, it's it's JT Miller and it's Spencer Martin. Where do you want to start? Where do you, you want to hit one? Right now, well, you know, I want to start somewhere else. All right, if I if can, can I want to start 
with Brock Besser, to be totally honest with you. Let's do it. A quiet three-point night, right? Brock Besser, this market loves to sleep on Brock Besser. Brock Besser is a bona fide top-line player, right? This season, just about everything possible has gone wrong for him, right? His shooting percentage is 75% or 66% of his career norm. He's at a 4% on-ice shooting clip at 5-on-5. That's like, no one sustains that over the course of a full season. In fact, he's probably getting about 50% of the credit. Like, points probably, his 5-on-5 points probably reflect 50% of his actual offensive value for this team. He was injured coming into the season, looked a step slow for a month and a half. Um, You know, everything possible has gone wrong for Brock Besser. And then when you look at it over 82 games, he's now on pace for 50 points. That's the floor for Brock Besser. And in a role in which he's usually at the net front on the power play as opposed to being a primary trigger man for this team. So deck stacked against this guy and he's on pace for 50 points in 82 games. And I feel like this market's really low on him. Like, if you gave people the the equation, Horvat, Miller, Besser, rank them. I think almost everyone in the city puts him third. Yep. And they're wrong. They're wrong. Like, it's wrong. Brock Besser is excellent. A bona fide first-line winger who drives play, beats set NHL goaltending with, a, with, a sh- with his shot, sneaky good at the net front and in board battles, and as we saw last night on multiple occasions – a tremendously underrated and intelligent playmaker. I want to start with Brock Besser because Besser is like Pedersen, who, by the way, how many goals does he have since I started saying he'd yes, lead the Canucks in scoring? Five in his last six? Five in his last six since I started being like, he's going to be, I just want to pat myself on the back because I haven't had enough time to do that on this <laughs> station. I haven't had time to stretch my legs. Yeah, I haven't got enough love yet. Yeah. Um, Brock Besser, Brock Besser is going to have a lot more points especially at five-on-five, five, over the second half of the season than he did in the first half. And what you're going to see is a run of games that look like that. A run of games where, you know, he's maybe not the primary guy involved, but, I mean, he kind of was. He had two primary assists. Yeah. And, um, and of course, had the had the goal. But the he's going to be involved, and, and more often when he's involved, the result is not going to be a wild save or a post-hit or you know, something odd, it's going to be points on the board for the Canucks. And what we saw last night was a flash of something that I expect to see an awful lot more of in the second half. And that poses, I think, some really interesting questions, particularly as we head to a deadline in which the Canucks have a ton of things to weigh, among which is the Besser, you know, the Besser trade talks really taking a back seat to yes. the Miller trade talk. But absent in this market, partly because of his struggles this season, has been the Besser extension talk. And, I mean, for me, for me, when you look at his age, when you look at the fact that, like clockwork, since he was 21, Besser's been a 65 over 82, uh, 65 point over 82 game pace producer, um, and is having sort of a, a down season offensively, but for reasons that are kind of beyond his control, like that to me is the guy you sign. That to me is the guy you extend, especially considering his age and where this team wants to be in terms of their horizon, like that is where I want to start because although I know a lot of people aren't talking about that in this market, I think I think the reality of Besser's quality as a player and his public perception, I think there's a gap there. And you know me, I love those gaps. But in this case, I actually kind of resent it because I just think we've kind of forgotten 
how good the flow can be when it floweth over. And the connection between the Brock Besser discussion and the JT Miller discussion is really interesting because, as you know, and you, and you asked JT Miller about it last night post game, Miller's name has been out there in trade rumors in this market, Endlessly. but also every day because. Pierre Lebrun, Frank Cervelli, others are reporting that Larry Brooks. teams are very, yes, the astronomical oh, asking price. I, I mean, as I wrote in the armies, right? Like, welcome to your real trader gym years, right? This yep. is a, this feels like a high stakes trade negotiation between major mar- media markets playing out in the media, like two months out from the deadline, like, mm, mm, finger licking good for us who, who have to gab about oh, this team. It's constantly. fantastic. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> I it's certainly delicious. don't mind it. It's delicious, but. You know, this is this is life now under under Real Trader Jim, and get used to it. It's going to be a ride. Strap in, seatbelts. But feet one of in the, the cart. when we dive in here on this station, whether it's you and me or the guys on the People Show, whatever it is, when we dive into the JT Miller trade conversation, one of the things that comes up a lot in the six fifty six fifty text message inbox is why are we talking about trading the guy who's been our best forward this year, who plays center, who kills penalties, who's the emotional leader, all of that. Why aren't you talking about trading Brock Besser instead? And for me, the two biggest things come down to, as you said, there's a few things. One is there's this gap in perception between the value that Brock Besser can bring to the team and maybe how he's perceived, at least in this market. Now, I don't know the degree to which that extends around the NHL, right? I don't know if the industry as a whole is maybe lower on Brock Besser than they should be. But when you compare... His value, and and specifically his value as a result of his play this year to JT Miller's, I don't think there's any question you would be selling high on JT Miller and not selling at the peak of Brock Besser's value. Well, the other key here is that the industry looks at JT Miller and sees a $7.5 million player making $5.25 this year and next, and that's you know, del- delightful, like fantastic. Let's try and add that guy. They see this guy who's versatile and tough and has a game that translates to the playoffs. With Brock Besser, they they do see a guy who's, um, you know, struggled offensively yep. this year and, most importantly, is up after this season with a really high QO. So that's a big factor. If, if Brock Besser had another year left at 5.8, you know, uh, the the value would be very different from teams not wanting to navigate the QO um, issue. And and look, the QO issue is not, like, it doesn't automatically entitle Brock Besser to a $7.5 million long-term co- contract. contract. No. No. There are, and, and there are devices, in fact, across the board, including uh, team-elected arbitration, that sort of are in the team's favor, too. It's a complicated situation. But teams are very, there's a lot of teams around the league. Like, why do you think every year, at July 1st, on July 1st, or the equivalent right, during the pandemic. Whatever it is now, yeah. Um, the that, symbolic July 1st. But there's all these guys every year now who become available that you didn't necessarily know would be available two months before, right? Yep. And and so I'm talking about your Nick Ritchies. I'm talking about your Andrej Kashas, your your David Kampfs, your Anthony Declares, your, you know, on and on down the list. And there's a lot of value to be had there. Ryan Donato. Uh, and, you know, the reason that those guys are all coming available is that teams don't like to handle, unless the player is completely indispensable, the qualifying offer system when it applies to arbitration-eligible players. It's a massive administrative headache. There's uncertainty there. It's hard to cap plan around. 
the walkaway is really high. So if you're in that mid range, like it's it's tough to deal with. And if you're at the top range, it can be really tough to deal with because you know you're you're not in control ultimately of the of the deal you get. Plus, it's going to be a short deal. Plus, you know, like it's just all uncertain in a way that makes everyone uncomfortable for obvious reasons. And no one wants to live in a world where your fixed costs are set by someone else or or where the negotiation or where that that leverage point hangs over the negotiation. Well, you don't they don't want a lack of certainty, right? And that's 100%. Miller has cost certainty for next year in a way that Brock Besser just simply doesn't. Totally. And that drives down the interest in well, from other teams, teams around the league. Teams are very leery about it and that's why we see so much talent hit the UFA market. Uh, surprisingly, or move, right? I mean, one of right. the most surprising contracts of the summer for me was Arturi Lekkinen getting an extension in Montreal. Now, he got it because of how well he would performed in the playoffs, and, and he's actually had a really good season this year, and I think could be a big-time ad for the right team at the deadline. But because he was in that, he's like a non-top point-producing guy in that $1.8, 2000000 million range, and, you know, a lot of those guys moved or went unqualified. Like another example is uh, Warren Fogle, who was flipped by the Carolina Hurricanes, but I don't think they would have even qualified him right. if they didn't get a deal. Um, you know, that's the Richie class. That's what we're talking about. Like the Lekkonen deal was one of the biggest surprises to me last year because for all of those reasons, I was just surprised that he was qualified. And so that's sort of the world we're living in, in terms of these types of arbitration-eligible RFAs. That depresses Besser's value. Uh, obviously, the slow offensive production does too, but more than anything, I think that's a huge factor. And the interesting thing with Brock Besser's contractual status is, as much as it depresses interest from other teams around the league, because that's all of a sudden that's a headache that they have to deal with, it's a headache for the Canucks as well. It's a tricky situation for the Canucks to be in. But when you specifically compare it, if you want to turn it into this dichotomy of, well, why trade Miller when you could trade Besser? If you're specifically looking at those two situations... Brock Besser is still an RFA and Miller is going to be an UFA in a year, mm-hmm. right? So you still have a way more advantageous negotiating Two position. RFA years, too, to keep the cap hit down if you wanted to do something with term. So you can still, from a Canucks perspective specifically, your chances of getting a mid- or long-term deal with Brock Besser that makes financial sense for you are probably greater than your chances of getting a similar deal with JT Miller that makes sense for you. And then that's before you factor in the age of Brock Besser, right? And the fact that... He's not going to get the same return in a package uh, that JT Miller would right now. So it's it's the kind of thing where because of the specific circumstances contractually for the two players, yes, Brock Besters is not ideal, but it's still probably somebody that you're more comfortable extending as the Canucks than then you're going to be, you know, going into JT Miller's last year with him staring down UFA status. Well, it, you know, and and like me on the on the Play Now app, uh, chasing the spice in terms of a return, right? Yep. Um, you know, you want to buy low on a guy who will return surplus value, right? And you want to sell high on a guy who will return surplus value in a trade on the return. But of course, but of course, underpinning all of this is that you do want to have some certainty on what an extension would look like for anyone that the Canucks are dealing with the long-term in mind. But as the market really honed in on the three, four assets for, for JT Miller, as reported by my, the athletic colleague, Pierre Lebrun. And by the way, awesome. Ask high, let's go. Um, why wouldn't you? Why yeah. wouldn't you? Yeah. Three, three goals, four points, three, four assets. <laughs> That's that simple. We, <laughs> <laughs> We've talked about it on this show. He's bare minimum the most attractive forward option on the trade market. Well, Thomas Hurdle, I 
I think J.J. Miller. The, the, well, I mean, the con- when you factor in the contract, Hurdle's going to be a $9 million player next year. Yeah. J.T. Miller is going to cost 60% of That's that. That's the thing. So I think it's J.T. Miller. It's it, close. Frank Cervelli has said he thinks he might be the overall number one. I know you've said John Klingberg, but either way, you're talking about yeah, one of the absolute top. Well, Chikrin. Chikrin is interesting because he's almost in a different class. I think it's probably Chikrin contract. one, Miller yeah. two, and then uh, and then you know Klingberg and uh, and Hurdle in there somewhere. Yeah, but, I would but have... as I as I sort of revisited it a bit, I I do think it's Chikrin ahead of Klingberg. Sure, but worst case scenario, you're talking about second, maybe third most attractive asset at forward. Pretty clearly to me, I would I would have him over Hurdle one or two. So. Yes, of course. Of course you should be making a big ask for JT Miller. And he, and he has another year at an you're extremely manageable cap. Probably going to get it. You and wouldn't be doing your job if it wasn't an astronomical no. price. You're probably going to get it. So if you decide to do that. So, you know, I, I was just sort of enamored by watching the game and watching Besser finally bump into a spot of favorable regression and noting the conversation around Miller. And I do think there's a big part of that conversation that needs to concern Besser too, especially as we talk about the overall asset management, right? The the sell high, the buy low part of the fantasy hockey that we like to play on Vancouver Sports Talk Radio. Absolutely. Ad nauseum. And, you know, that was one of the big takeaways for me from the game last night was just Besser. Besser is going to wake this market up again because this market just loves to sleep on him. And, and we're doing it again. We're doing it again. We shouldn't be. Uh, this is this is going to happen for him. Uh as for Miller, right? Hold on, just just before we move on from Besser, because okay. this is coming in a few times, and I want to read it. Uh, Unsigned says he's too slow. Drance, they want speed, and Adam and White Rock says I love Besser, but do you think he skates well enough for Trader Jim? Well, you know, you know, it's an interesting question, but team speed doesn't require 12, literally every twelve person guys to be, to a, be burner. a burner. Yeah, I mean, look at those Pittsburgh Penguins teams; they won with. They had Nick Bonino, who was traded out of Vancouver because he wasn't fast he's enough. Too slow. They had Patrick Hornquist, right? who, if there was a 40-time equivalent in the NHL, would be over five. You know, it doesn't matter. He's an amazing player. He's completely unique at the net front. And, you know, one of the best guys in the game by all accounts. So, you know, it's not about having everyone be a burner. It's just about having more uh, team speed. than Like, like team speed's a delicate thing. We talk about this a lot. You can have a couple guys. But if you're going to have a couple guys who aren't burners, make sure they're either like really smart third line centers who make 1.2 million and can score 20 goals or or really good top line players. Yeah. Right? Those are the guys you can sort of afford to have not as not as like anchors but as as guys who aren't necessarily fitting your template to a T because they do other things. And in Besser's case, it's like clockwork and without a dose of luck scores 65 points per 82 games, you know, as a as sort of a baseline well, that's a really high baseline. Like, how many seasons of 65-plus points does JT Miller have in yeah. his entire career? Besser's three years younger. He's, he does it like clockwork. Um, you know, so for me, that's just uh, just a point I wanted to bring up because I just think the discussion around him isn't isn't in line with who he is. And I, I think it's the rare Vancouver player who this market actually perpetually underrates. <laughs> And and so that that does that that I wanted to comment on, especially because I thought in a lot of ways, um, you know, not that he was the straw that stirred the drink uh, last night for the for the Canucks, but he had a really, really productive game, a really creative game. And that's what Besser is. He showed off a lot of the it's always first thing that comes to mind is the shot with Brock Besser 
going back to his rookie year, obviously, yeah. but he's rounded out his game in a lot of other ways, and he showed off some of that or a lot of that last night in that game. Uh, Nate from Comox texts in, what about trading our overplayed bad players and just keeping our good players? Or is that not allowed? That's Nate from Comox. I, I know I've you know banged this drum before on the show, but the problem with trading overpaid bad players is you don't get anything back for them, right? Or in fact, if they're super overpaid, you're giving up assets to get them off your roster. And if you're going to start doing that, which maybe is a road Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvin want to go down at some point, guess what? You need assets to get those guys off your roster. Where are you going to get those assets? It's going to be by trading players that have actual value, right? It's going to be by trading players who are desired around the league, who have that surplus contract value. We know from Jim Rutherford directly and on the record, and he has been explicit with fans about the types of things he thinks he needs. Draft picks, young players, cap, cap space. space. So how are you going to get those? Things? How are you going to get those things? You need to you need to trade something of value to get something of value. Now that's not to say that you shouldn't also be kicking the tires on whatever money in, money out. My problem for your problem deals you can find, especially for the middle class um, players on the Canucks roster. And and you know there's four guys between two five and three five. So when I say the middle class, I mean simply guys between two five and three right. five. The Canucks are getting good mileage out of some of them, Pearson and Pullman in particular, and they're getting low mileage out of two of them in Dickinson and Hamannick. And yeah, I mean, finding ways to shuffle the decks, reshuffle the decks, uh, turn four guys, only Pullman of whom is a plus skater into into faster skaters. Like that's one way to upgrade your team speed. Um, you know, that could pay dividends. I'm not I'm not against also exploring those. It's just that I do think you need to make a couple of bold moves to add to your cap flexibility, right? Like, that's the other thing. If you trade a really good player with futures coming back and no contractual commitments, like, the only way you can do that is to trade a big player. Yep. And I don't know how you free up the necessary space. Like, you know, just just as a just as a template, say say Miller goes for futures, right? Like, futures and young players, ELCs or, or cheap second contracts, right? So we're talking about, like, you've gained $4 million in cap space there. You know, maybe you consider, maybe you consider um, a buyout on one of the other guys, um, you know, Dickinson has the most front-loaded deal, so we'll pick him as the example. But you know, no, not not a shot at him or or anything. But he has the most front-loaded yep. deal. That's you, you free up an additional one seven there. Um, if you actually decide to to make the Halak move, free up one point two five there. You know, you add it to uh, the fifteen that you or the thirteen that you now have thirteen and a half. Now you're looking at a team with something like twenty one million in cap space. Well, hey. Now you can maybe rebuild a blue line. Like now you can actually make fundamental changes to your roster and, you know, resign Besser as well, right? Without those types of moves, you're looking at six million to play with. There, you know, yeah. You can't you can build a you can build a third line, maybe, but that's not enough for what this team needs. Everything Jim Rutherford has told us is that there are this team needs significant changes to get to where he wants it to be, right? Mm -hmm. So Yes, it's. I understand why fans are attached to all of Besser, Miller. Sorry, I said front-loaded for Dickinson, and it's back-loaded. Right. I just got that wrong. Please excuse me. I understand why fans are attached to all those players and why the concept of trading them, it seems kind of you know, not intuitive, right? Yeah. Because, hey, those are really good, valuable players, but... If you don't move, if you don't make a big move like that, all you end up doing is fiddling on the margins. And again, from Jim Rutherford, that is not the sense we're getting, that he thinks this is a fiddling on the margins situation. If you want to do more than that, again, as we've heard from the man himself, you're going to have to make some tough 
big decisions. And there's a reason why these same group of players always comes up. It's because of their contractual status, their age, their value around the league. Uh, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Lots of great questions on this coming in. We'll hit a bunch of them on the other side. Plus, more breakdown of the Canucks 5-1 win in Winnipeg. Looking ahead to the game against Calgary on Saturday as well. It is the Canucks Hour on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to the Canucks Hour, Sportsnet 650, your home of the Canucks. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drance, only one more half hour of Drance. Got to get your fill. You heard him on the morning show. You heard him on the best of replay of the morning show. Now here on the Canucks Hour as well. And join me for the replay of the Canucks Hour. <laughs> yes, the Canucks Hour best absolutely. of. It's called just, the Canucks Minute. Just put it on your put it on loop. Download yeah. the podcast. And it's mostly me making um, Tim Robinson references. That's like, that's right. really the whole thing. That's right. Uh, by the way, do go out and check out the podcast, Canucks Hour. You can find it at Apple, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcast. Leave us a five-star rating and review as well. Canucks Hour brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Being a champion takes foresight. Build your company to win for years to come with fuel-efficient and reliable Kubota skid steers, excavators, and loaders from Avenue Machinery. AvenueMachinery.ca. I did want to read this text quickly. Eric and West Van texts in. I've never heard Rutherford use the term significant changes. When did he say this, or is this your perspective? I'm Sorry, not saying that's a ver- I, when did that was me. That was you. I'm not saying that's a verbatim quote from Jim Rutherford. Uh, if I did give that impression, I'm sorry. But he has specifically said that there's big decisions coming up. He's also talked significantly about you know we need to add more players. We need to add better players. Yes, my interpretation, taking everything that Jim Rutherford has said, is that. He sees this as a roster that is going to need big changes to compete for the Stanley Cup. Jim Rutherford does not have the attachment to this roster, right? That anyone who built it would, or anyone who's watched it and debated it over the years has, right? So Jim Rutherford comes in and has an objective, clean slate, tabula rasa view of where this club's at. And I say this repeatedly because I think it bears repeating. The Canucks... With their big win over Winnipeg yesterday, passed the Detroit Red Wings in point percentage and Mm -hmm. now rank 22nd in the NHL. I know they're trending in the right direction under Bruce Boudreaux, but not good enough, right? They have very limited cap space this offseason. They have one of the thinnest prospect systems in hockey. They do not have their full retinue of draft picks for the upcoming draft. The task ahead is... Very, very steep. And there's no chance that this club can accomplish the type of thing on the type of timeline that Rutherford's looking at. You know, I think, and I think it's opening a contention, a window for meaningful contention in a couple of years. Yeah. Without bold moves and, yes, significant changes. So while he hasn't said it, I don't think it's an unreasonable expectation based on what he's outlined of his plans. Yeah, that's exactly it. And again, I wasn't if I if I indicated that that I'm not was a verbatim quote. Just, I just think you're right. <laughs> Thank you. Uh another text that came in 650-650. Keep your thoughts coming in 6 uh 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. The smart alternative, visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at dunbarlumber.com. We were talking about Brock Besser at length in the first segment, his contract status as an RFA in the summer and unsigned text comes in Will Besser become Vancouver's Willie Nylander in that he gets no respect, but ultimately will have the best contract of the core group of players? And it's an interesting 
comparison because of course when Nylander held out and eventually signed that deal and then struggled when he came back to the Leafs that year initially that was subject to a lot of abuse a lot of criticism he's been fantastic for them since then and you look at that contract and it is an absolute bargain now because of Brock Besser's qualifying offer status I don't think you're going to end up in a situation where you get as good a deal on a Brock Besser extension as the Leafs ended up getting with William Nylander. But I don't think the the Besser contract negotiations are so tilted against the Canucks that it's impossible for them to end up with, you know, what in a couple of years or even as soon as next year ends up looking like a pretty team-friendly deal. So I, I, I like where the Texter's headed with that comparison. I think it's an interesting thought. It is an interesting thought, although... I wonder if the PD comparison is better, right? The the shows up to training camp late, struggles for fifty games, yep. and then and then you know returns to being phenomenal. And and honestly, I don't know how many, I don't know how much appetite there is to hear me say something kind about a Toronto Maple Leafs player in this market. <laughs> but I'm gonna I'm gonna bravely let's forge see. ahead let's anyway. Let's see how much appetite let's there see, is. Let's see how people react to some Leafs praise from from me. Um, William Nylander has been, if not a top five winger in hockey, not far off this season. He's he's probably been their second best. He's been forward. fantastic. He's been outrageously good. And, and that's and not that a was, new. That's not a new thing either. It's it's like this level might be. This but is he's a new been level. Really good. I think this is a new level for me. It is anyway. Uh, this season, it's been it's been really interesting to watch the dynamic of that team sort of change. But back to the Canucks, I, I do think there's a chance that they can find good value in a Besser deal. That said, I think there's a decent chance you could find good value in a in a Miller extension. So, you know, I, I don't know that that's an avenue that's closed to them either. And and I know that Jim Rutherford is intent on making it apparent to any of the vultures circling around the Canucks, hoping they sell, right? Hoping they perish in the desert yep. um, and sell before the deadline. I don't think that he's going to sell Miller from a place of desperation. I think they love JT Miller. They love JT Miller for all the reasons that JT Miller would be a hot commodity on the trade market. Uh, last night, certainly he looked indispensable. He looks indispensable a lot of nights. Yep. And so, you know, I don't think he moves without the offer being outrageous. And we got a sense again, go, go read my colleague at the athletic Pierre Lebrun. He has some interesting quotes from Jim Rutherford uh, concerning the club's trade posture. Also, the assembly of the new look front office. And I wouldn't say I wouldn't say the article features Jim Rutherford hammering a for sale sign into the lawn at <laughs> Rogers Arena. But but it feels like the signs on order, on back order, uh, from how he's discussing it. And you know, all the all the while I do think there's some curiosity in seeing what this team can do, particularly when they have their full run of bodies back. And it looks like we're inching closer to that. I don't think we'll get Pearson back until the club Departs for the U.S., plays back-to-back against Chicago and Nashville, and then returns to Canada. But with Horvat likely to play on Saturday, with Demko. Demko probably back, I saw they reassigned Mike DiPietro to Abbotsford, which seems to be a bit of a tell. Although until the emergency conditions are terminated on Spencer Martin's loan, I would be cautious about reading too much into it, right? I mean, they have three goalies with them. That might be enough to send that they feel confident right. that, DP, uh, that Demko will be back soon enough that they could get through at least another game without having a third goalie on the taxi squad. But 
So so that's all I read into that. I think until the emergency conditions on Martin are, are terminated, expect, uh, you know, I don't think we can say that Demko's back tomorrow, but Demko should be back soon, if not tomorrow, Horvat thereafter, and that's going to make a huge difference for this team. We'll see if they can keep it going, or or really, and it's not keep it going, get back on track. Yep. Last night was like a get back on Massive track step game. to getting back on track. Yeah. But this Flames team... Do you know how good this top Flames top line is? They might be They've one of the really best good. in the last five, six years. Like, they are, they are, they have potential if they can maintain their first half pace to be a historically good NHL forward line. That's how good they've been. That's a big test for the Canucks tomorrow in Calgary. And we talked about the gap that has opened up between the Canucks and the rest of the Western Conference playoff teams in well, terms another of points bad percentage. Night on the scoreboard another night. bad night on the scoreboard. Now, they did close that gap. Uh, significantly with the Winnipeg Jets by you know the Jets winning like in regulation. The Jets, the- and and also I think the thing is it's great to close it <laughs> against the Central Division teams, but ultimately I think you're going to have to do it with the Pacific Division teams, well, the- right? And L.A., Anaheim, Edmonton all win last night as well. Calgary well- loses, but uh, we'll see. Like if they get if they get the result on the weekend, maybe you can start thinking about tracking down Calgary. But I I, I don't know if that's going to be uh, realistic. the Jets looked like a disaster to me in their own end, like. You know, I, I want to be fair to Neil Pionk because, oh, uh, in the lead up to the Pedersen goal, right? The Myers to Pedersen goal, that Tyler Myers, or sorry, that Tyler Mott, too many Tylers, that Tyler Mott uh, breakout, right? Was like classic Tyler Mott. I loved every second of it. It was actually sneaky. I, I didn't include it in the armies because I was kind of running out of word count, but it was sneaky, sneaky favorite part of the game last night, other than Shorty and Garrett admonishing Myers for not picking up Spencer Martin's puck on the broadcast, was there's <laughs> there's this breakout, and it's, it's you know, end of a long shift and partial change, uh, and Hughes just kind of dumps it to Tyler Maude to step inside his own blue line, and he takes two steps in, and he tries to dump the puck in, and he hits a, a Winnipeg Jets player, and the puck bounces right back to him. And then he takes a few more strides, and he tries to shoot it into the end, and he hits Neil Pionk. And then he goes and retrieves the puck behind the net. And it's just like, you've hurt everybody on your way. <laughs> you know, it was like a video game where it's like you like pass the puck a little bit and then hit your opponent. Or like, um, or like a breakout in Rocket League, where he was just yeah. smashing everybody on the way down. It was phenomenal. And it was the most Tyler Mott breakout imaginable, because this is a guy famous for being a hazard even at, even at Canucks practices um but you know results in Neil Pionk being a little bit banged up and I think contributes to the Pedersen goal but the Besser to Miller pass and then the Myers to Pedersen to pass, pass both at five on five you know Hellebuck wasn't great last night but when your team's giving up multiple looks like that just like surrendering a cross seam pass five on five with that type of ease and great passes. I'm not taking anything away from the Canucks, but it's just like that can't happen. That cannot happen. That's Cooper Cup uncovered downfield. That is, you know, uh, Jonathan David three touches and in. That yes. is not acceptable. That's and uh, the the Bills taking away the sideline for some reason against Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey, even though the Chiefs still have timeouts left to use with 13 seconds. Yeah, that is that is a Dak Prescott draw with <laughs> 30, 35 <laughs> seconds to go. Um, or 14 seconds to go. Brutal. Brutal. So I think the Jets are finishing sixth in the Central. The Canucks catching the Jets is great. I don't think it's sufficient. No. I don't think that's even who they're chasing. And and I think that team, I, I would I would be willing to bet if I bet on hockey, which I've never done once in my life, 
I, I bet the Canucks finish ahead of the Jets in the standings. That, that team looked like a mess to me. And even though they have a better point percentage than Vancouver, um, you know, they're on my short list along with San Jose of teams that I expect the Canucks to legitimately pass in the West over the over the course of the rest of the season. Yeah, lots of trade questions coming in, which we'll get to. But just as I said, for me, looking at maybe the, Anaheim. Yeah, looking at the playoff race has become much more about the Pacific Division than it has for the wild card spot for me. And in that scenario, you need to jump San Jose. You need to jump Edmonton, Doable. Anaheim. I don't think Edmonton's and happen. LA. So yeah, San Jose, Anaheim, plausible. Edmonton, LA are the tougher ones. Well, and Calgary, I mean, Calgary, you're just... I'm right, looking at points you're percentage. Just, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of gifting Calgary the second You spot. should. Yeah. Calgary's going to make a run. Yeah. Um, How many games behind Vegas are they? Yeah, they're five, five games. I mean, Calgary might make a run for the top of the yeah. of the conference. So I'm kind of putting Calgary out of the picture. Especially now. now that they put that, like, Omicron bra- um, outbreak uh, dip that they had on their return to action behind them. Um, I'm really scared of what the Flames did to the Columbus Blue Jackets. That wasn't a victory. That was a dismemberment. Well, and just looking at how the Flames week has set up, they have that performance, right? Against, and then they rest. And then they, but no, but they played last night and got oh. hammered by the Blues and, Ooh, and had right. one of their worst performances of the year, which I actually think is a very bad scenario. Always. Right? Because you, you just, not only are you coming off a really bad defeat and you know Daryl Sutter will have them roaring to go on but Saturday. But it's hungry versus full and on it's, Saturday night. It's also. They just saw what they can do at their best, right, yeah. against Columbus. And it's so, kind of terrifying. You know, if it, it's they have this kind of recent example of that's what we can do at the top of our game. We got to completely put the memory of that letdown against the Blues out of our minds and come back and absolutely show that, you know, the real version of us is the team that stomped Columbus in the previous game. So it, it's it's a tough situation, that game specifically. If you're looking for a silver lining, it's, again, that – they're probably not really chasing the Flames anymore in this playoff race. No, so. no they're chasing the the California teams. Yeah, uh, I don't. I mean, the problem is, is I think I still think Edmonton's going to figure it out. I mean, I, I in fact I feel very confident about Edmonton figuring it out, especially if they can add, you know, a Spencer Martin quality goaltender. Um, <laughs> yes, you know, Spencer Martin's probably has trade value. Well, okay, let's I think talk- Spencer Martin probably has trade value. I also think he'd get claimed off waivers yeah. in a heartbeat. Absolutely. Um, he has changed his career fundamentally this weekend over the course of the last six days. And a tip of our cap to a guy who's, you know, took him nine years after he was drafted to to win a game. Um, I think he's going to have I think he's going to have some NHL games in his future. And uh, and kudos to him. Just a, just a mark of persistence around that around that young man. Um, tremendous. We talked yesterday on the show about how much we just, from a human perspective, wanted to see him get that first NHL win, given what he's done for the Canucks so far. He gets it. he was it. awesome. He was really so good. good. You, you know how much it meant to him, to the coaches, to the team, to everyone. It was great to see. The natural conversation, and the thing that immediately comes up, and I know it was on the post-game show, I know it was all over Twitter, is, okay, look, you found this guy, kind of completely unexpectedly, found money for you, you have to trade Halak now. The, the the things are actually not particularly connected, though, because the barrier to trading Halak is not who's going to replace him as the backup. That might be one tiny barrier. The barrier is he has a full no movement. Well, no move, I mean, no movement. Clause. I mean, if you're if. Yeah, the Halak. You're right. The Halak discussion occurs in a vacuum. Yeah. Right. Um, until the Halak, until Halak 
we have some indication that he's willing to explore it. It doesn't matter what Spencer yeah. Martin is and, doing. And most indications that we have are that he's not. So sort of a moot point and just uh, just another deal that looks really bad seven months after it was signed. But, you know, a radical idea for you, if you can, you do both. Yes. <laughs> well, and I think the... Uh, especially especially if the next two weeks don't go the, you go, go your way, like... I mean, I mean, why not? Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? Mike, Mike DiPietro could use some NHL reps, especially because of the way the Canucks cap system sort of shapes up and what we've seen for, with the market for backup goaltenders, right? Like Laurent Bressois is a $3 million player. Yarrow Holock signed a $3 million deal. Antti Ranta's two and a half. Like, I mean, you don't even get a backup these days for less than no. two and a half million, three million dollars. So, you know, you need to, like, DiPietro's probably going to be this team's backup next year unless they decide to go with Spencer Martin. Um, that's that's the situation this team's in. So, I mean, I don't have a problem getting him reps down the stretch. Well, and I think if you're looking for, if you're trying to explore the ways the Spencer Martin story is more than just a really cool hockey story and what kind of long-term implications it might have for the Canucks, again, I don't think it's terribly connected to the Halak debate. It might be, though, I think the biggest lesson for me is, as you said, it's not it's not easy or cost-effective to constantly be dipping in and paying for a high-quality NHL backup in the free agency market. Well, they've been burned by it multiple years they're, in a row. They're going to have and next year. They're going to have both dead money for both guys on the salary cap, right? Well, the bonus money from Halak and in the dead, yeah, and, and the dead money. It's going to basically replace the Luongo recapture thing coming off the books. So you've basically just punted this thing that has tied your hands for three years. Yeah, another year into the future. I mean, it's a really tough look. So I think the lesson for the Canucks is, look, you got Ian Clark to re-up with the franchise to stay here. Bet on your ability to find goalies cheap and develop goalies cheap and get yeah. that goaltending performance internally. Because, again, we have seen how it can go sideways when you dip into the free agency market constantly to find that other goalie. So it might not be specifically <laughs> about Spencer Martin, but I think the lesson is – if that's you got to make that an edge you got to make that somewhere where you can find value by developing and identifying the goalies out there for cheap that can come in and do the job for you right and and you know i think the spencer martin one right that's a free acquisition he was signed by the tampa bay lightning to give them a guy to expose in the expansion process right that's why he got extended yep. one year deal it's a cheap two way deal and the canucks got him for free they had a few options and um, you know, uh, Ryan Johnson did the legwork, and then it's brought to Ian Clark, and Ian Clark selects Martin, and boom, you, you've got a guy who comes in as a fourth or fifth string goaltender, like extra insurance for Silovs and DiPietro. DiPietro. And he goes down to Abbotsford, and he doesn't even, like, he's not, he was the third string goalie. He wasn't getting in games to start the year, and works with Curtis Sanford, puts in the work, redesigns part of his game, and now the Canucks are starting Mark Donk, and he's 950 plus. Like the Canucks are, are he's, getting, the, he's earning you points. The Canucks are the Pittsburgh of the goaltending position now. Every guy they plug in, whether it's Demko in the bubble, whether it's Markstrom after the, um, you know, after he cleared waivers previously, um, Ryan Miller. Like the only exception to the rule is is Braden Holtby. Almost everyone who's come here has elevated their game or proven themselves to be even better than expected or or exceeded expectations in one way or another. Uh, you know, that's a huge edge. If you can mine it consistently, especially at that position. And I do think it, you know, potentially presents some avenues to make some forward looking moves. You and it's it's not the record you ran down there is impressive. And look, look, Braden Holpe is an exception. So maybe you try to do it 
again next year and you get burned. And that's a risk that you run. But I think you have to take some of those risks, right, to make this theoretical edge you have in your organization pay off for you and actually be mining that value from it. Unsigned Tech says, I think they signed Spencer Martin as a backup next season. He'll be cheap and probably want to stay to work with Ian Clark more. Yeah, I mean, cost depending, of course, and who knows how many more NHL games he gets this year, which obviously could uh, could change what he's looking for on the open market. I think that's absolutely a possibility. I think the trade idea is interesting as well. If it, There are teams around the NHL that are desperate for goaltending help that would love a backup who can come in and do what Spencer Martin has done for the Canucks here. So I think anything is on the table for the Canucks, and the ultimate takeaway there is, hey, you've proven that you can find reliable goaltending, that you can get guys to elevate their game. So lean on that. Make that an edge going forward. Uh, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Lots of trade discussion questions coming in. This one is from Brendan in Nanaimo who says, Rutherford didn't trade for Garland, right? Wouldn't he have more value right now than Brock Besser? Longer-term contract with a good AAV. Uh, To me, he's more expendable because he's older than Besser. I guess it depends on what other teams want. Your thoughts? Garland is an interesting one because he doesn't have the same pedigree as Brock Besser as a former first-round pick, which we know NHL teams value pedigree for a long time after the draft has passed, and that's not Connor Garland. But the point about the contractual certainty there and the the value that you can feel pretty good about him providing on that contract is an interesting one for his trade value as well. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I just don't know what the market looks like. Certainly, you have a ton of time to make that decision. Um, yeah, that's definitely not a, we have to make that in the next two months decision. No, right? and, and so it would come down to, you know, if there's a team that loves the guy, right? If there's a team that thinks he's their Phil Kessel on the third line for a playoff run or something, you know, then then sure, sure maybe, you, maybe you kick the tires on that or explore it. But, you know, I, I think there's a lot of time left to make that decision. And let's not forget, in terms of his five-on-five play, in terms of his overall value provided, uh, Connor Garland's probably up there with Miller in the argument. Like, he's the closest thing to Miller in the argument for best forward on this team this he's year. He's been their second best forward. Uh, easily. Yeah. And and that's without PP1 time, where, like, I'd very much like to see him. So, you know, I, I mean, Connor Garland's good. You have some time. You don't need to... Are they blowing it up, or are they trying to right. make a couple of future-oriented moves while also trying to build around a, a relatively good young core? I mean, that's sort of the major question, because once you're talking Garland in addition to all the other guys we've tossed out and, and sort of chatted about over the course of this hour, uh, now you're blowing it up. Then it's wholesale changes, right? It's completely different in two years than it looks now, and there's not a lot of then holdovers. It's, then it's more significant changes than you're even advocating and for, the reason, Yes, exactly. And the or reason reporting it, along as an, as an inevitability. Yeah, the yeah. reason it... The reason that Horvat, Miller, and Besser are kind of the big three of names is because they all have contractual decisions on the horizon. Mm-hmm. And and if and depending on where you land on those contractual decisions, it might make sense to explore a trade for any of those players. Garland doesn't have that. And in fact, unlike a lot of the other long-term deals on the team, it's a contract where you feel pretty good about getting that surplus value. So again, if you, look, if a team blows you away with an offer because they love the player, do you talk about it? Of course you do. But it's not... I don't think it's going to be something that's ever going to be, or at least in the near term, is going to be on the front burner for the Canucks because there are so many other decisions that have a time element to them. Yeah, 100%. Or at the very least, it's not. it doesn't feel as pressing. 
no. right? And and that's why the other guys have dominated the conversation. And, and realistically, uh, you know, a lot of these might not be pressing and might just be chatter. Yeah. Uh, but it's fun to throw out and it's fun to discuss. And we'll see how the Canucks do because, you know, if you are annoyed by the constant trade chatter in this market, right, one thing to remember is it'll go away if this it goes away pretty quick and becomes, oh, who can they add when you're in the playoff picture? Mm-hmm. It's just that the Canucks are, as of today, 12% odds per Dom decision. They've been vacillating in that sort of mid to low teens, getting as high as 20% a couple weeks ago before the out-of-town scoreboard really uh, sort turned of turned on them. them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, go go out and win two weeks' worth of games, and, and these conversations will very much cool down. But until then... Until then, I think we're all waiting to see what exactly this new look Canucks front office will do. And, and we do expect whatever it is, it's going to be aggressive and it's going to be done with the future in mind. And that suggests changes are afoot. That will do it for us for the week. We will be back on Monday, of course. Have a great weekend, everyone. Don't forget to download the podcast and leave us a five-star rating and review as well. The People's Show with myself and Randy Janda is up next. It's the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.